From multiple audible locations in Minneapolis or near enough, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Ellen Burns Johnson, and I make nice games. I'm Steve McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha Croy, I too make nice games. In this episode, we talk with Chell Wong, award-winning game composer, to discuss game audio tools and workflows. And so, if everyone is ready, let's start. Welcome, Chell. Hi. We've been, we've been wanting to have you on for a little while. We've talked about it idly in the gig, you and I, and we finally got you here to talk about the nitty gritty of audio stuff, which I'm very excited to learn about because in my friendship with you, I've always wanted to have this conversation, but in all the social settings we've been part of, it's much more free flowing and goofy. And I like want to get down to brass tacks. So I'm excited for today's episode. Yeah. So sorry, listeners, if you were expecting a rollicking good time, because that's not what's on the docket for today. I was going to say, maybe we should add a disclaimer. This is going to be even nerdier than usual. Just be prepared. Yeah. Watch me somehow accidentally derail it. I'll just say something and then it'll be like anime. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I was actually going to derail it a little bit, too. I wanted to know what award you won (laughs) as a uh, a composer. Oh, actually, yeah. My microphone's in the way, but that weird red circle behind me is a... It's from Reboot Developer. Actually, you know what? I'll tell the story. So, um, (laughs) I did it. (laughs) You did it. All right. So, hi, my name is Cho Wong, and I worked on a game called Kine. Kine is a puzzle indie, uh, it's a puzzle indie game about three instruments trying to become famous. And actually, it's going to be launched on Steam this year on October 19th, which is not long from now. It it might be around when this episode goes live. So, really good timing on our part. We totally planned it. (laughs) Hey. <laughs> so, um, Kine launched last year on uh, Switch, PS4, Xbox One, um, Epic Game Store, and then a month later, Google Stadia launch. Um, so, Gwen, being a normal adult person, goes to bed at like maybe 11 or something. And I know this because I am not a normal adult person, and <laughs> I go to bed anywhere between, well, last night was like actually midnight to 6 a.m. So... It's a it's a little bit of an inconsistent thing. So at some point, I get a message from her, and she's like, "Hey, are you awake?" And it's at like one something. I'm like, "That's weird." And I like I get to it by the time it's like two something. I think I don't remember. It's pretty late. Um, so I'm just like, "Hey, yeah, what's up?" And then immediate response: I have something to show you. Oh. And she sends me a picture, and it's this uh, award that says "Reboot Develop Red Best Audio 2019." She's like, "This is yours," and I was like, <laughs> "What?" <laughs> I didn't even know that she was at a conference and I guess there was a, a small conference in Canada um, called Reboot Develop Red um, I was supposed to go this year but you know yeah. um, mm-hmm. and they have another one called Reboot Develop Blue in Croatia so um, I end up getting nominated which I didn't know and then I end up winning and she I guess did basically my uh, what's what's not victory <laughs> Acceptance speech. Thank you. Yeah, (laughs) she was like, "Hi, uh, this this award belongs to. I I mean, I my name is still Mitchell, but like Chowong and blah 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 and like yeah, Um, something more eloquent than that." Um, (laughs) I also did get nominated for um the Gang Awards, which is the Game Audio Network Guild, and that was really cool because that was like actually there there was like a lot of competition. Like, mm-hmm. oh, it was best sound design in a casual or social game. Hearthstone. Oh. Call of Duty Mobile. <laughs> oh. 
who's heard of kind something by capybara games something by that game company um and it's like oh geez ah oh dang oh geez like (laughs) and you got nominated for that i did and i didn't win which is fine because i didn't expect to win (laughs) that's Mm -hmm. wow that's that's oh that's beautiful so cool call of duty mobile one so like sure i mean they deserve it probably (laughs) i haven't played the game i assume it sounds good it's it's triple a (laughs) <laughs> uh, that that award you got and didn't know it that's like the perfect way to win an award there's like no anticipation no nerves no like pretending that you don't that like that just being nominating is is an honor yeah like it's like right. <laughs> you have to do a little bit of that for this other one but yeah like, <laughs> legit though for for gang like it is actually an extreme honor to be acknowledged oh, yeah. by my fellow audio mm-hmm. people is yeah. like wow maybe i'm not a complete fraud um, so, uh, I, it was weird though, because the, ga- um, the, yeah, the gang awards were supposed to be at GDC, which didn't mm. happen. Right. So mm-hmm. we had to like pre-record acceptance speeches. And then like, I think like straight up in mind, I was like, I don't expect to win this, but in case I do, <laughs> <laughs> and then I just like rambled off some stuff. I'm like, uh, I don't know. My, mine was like 10 seconds of just me saying like 20 names. <laughs> I fit that many names in that many seconds. And of course no one saw it. So it's kind of cruel, actually. That yeah, they do that. Yeah, because you I have mean, to like. It makes sense. Like, what are they gonna do? Like, we're gonna call you right then yeah. and there, live on Twitch, and you're gonna be like, "Oh hi!" <laughs> everyone else is just stand by and like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Good night. And that's what would happen live, though, right? Yeah, I mean, hmm, kind of. Yeah, sort of. Well, a little. <laughs> Maybe. Well, we've derailed this very yes, well. Good job. I say. Good job. But I do want to ask uh, how you got involved. Uh, what I heard about Kine partly because it had a lot of really good buzz, but also that it was the only indie game on Stadia at launch, which would, which uh, I, not many people talk about in those terms. But that's what I found interesting about it. But I would like to hear about how you got st- how you connected with that game and how that process uh, started and went before we get into all the the nitty gritty nerdy stuff. So, um, I. Let me, I guess to start about how I started my game career, because it's kind of integral mm-hmm. to how I met Gwen in a sense. Um, I went to school to be a music teacher and things didn't go right. Um, I eventually, after graduating, I did a year of nonprofit and it just it nearly killed me. I was <sighs> very, very exhausted. And there were several reasons outside of the outside of like the, the program itself. There's just some things that just weren't lining up in my life. Um, I considered going to grad school for bass trombone performance, which I am not good enough for. Like, I'm I'm decent, but I, especially now, like in, in my today's lens, I'm like, I'm very rusty and I'm not amazing at it. Um, so I after my program ended, I well, actually, right before my program ended, I, I knew these two guys from a, a discord server for a game that we all played. And they're like, hey, we're making our own game or we're looking for another uh, coder. And maybe an audio person. I'm like, hey, I've like literally never done this before, but like hit me up in three weeks. And he's like, yeah, sure. And so they actually did hit me up. I'm like, well, I guess I gotta. Um, they had like, hey, here's this character. We want a, a theme song for him. Uh, I was like, okay. So I just like sang something in my phone, wrote it out in finale, transcribed it. I transcribed it into finale, which I hate <laughs> and despise when we, I'll talk more about it when we get the tools. And uh, then they're like, wow, this is really good. And they gave me another character and they gave me another character. I'm like, oh, wow. Um, and then I came across Akash the Cars uh, YouTube channel, and he has like a video on like how you can freelance in game audio. I'm like, huh? <laughs> My whole life, people have been telling me to write music for video games, but I'm like, you can't just do that. Um, 
so basically that was like the the sign and like now akash is also like my friend um i actually did a panel with him um not too long ago for igda la which is like wow that's crazy that i'm doing a panel with my mentor how time flies mm, um cool. <laughs> so on his advice i networked like crazy i um before the pandemic even i was going to five to six meetups every month and so it took me several months until i found my first contract and so after that was signed, like literally a month after that contract was signed, I go to another meetup. Normally our meetups are in Cambridge, Massachusetts, near the MIT area. This one was actually in the heart of Boston at the Prudential Center, which is like kind of a weird place to get to if you're by car, but it's like not too bad by train. And so it was like a weird venue. We were inside the Microsoft store and there's like, I know there's two other audio people and I'm like still trying to figure out my way around. I don't know a lot of people yet. And so I, I see Gwen. Uh, who is now Gwen Gwendolyn Bond. She recently got married. Anyways, um, she was there and she was um, sort of quietly showing off a game. And I'm like talking to her and I'm rambling and I'm bumbling and I just I'm tripping over my own words. And then I was like, oh yeah, I, I heard about the uh, the uh, Flame in the Flood. And I'm like, I haven't played it. And she's like, oh, you seem cool. Like I could just get you a key. I'm like, okay, I'm not totally blowing it. So um, I tried her game. And one, I really like puzzles. And two, as I'm talking to her, I'm also like, oh, yeah, I'm a composer. I play trombone. And, and one of the characters is trombone. And so I think little did I did I know it at the time, but I was maybe exactly who she was looking for. Mm-hmm. I was brand new. I was a trombonist. I, I have no jazz. Um, and I really like puzzles and maybe some other factors, too. Um, so she's like, hey, I, I promised my friend that I'd let him take a pass at the at the audio. Um, but after that, if if I'm not super duper into it, I'll I'll give it to you. And I'm like, oh, cool. So for like that couple of weeks where I was waiting, I'm like, oh, don't get your hopes up. She's probably going to hire a friend and something like that. And then she's like, I passed up on it. Like, all right, show me what you got. And uh, yeah, she took a chance on me hmm. and I. I ran with it and I worked my butt off. So, Fantastic. yeah, I'm still forever grateful for her taking a chance on me. Um, I guess to check out her other game, Lab Rats, which is coming out later in the start of next year. You know, uh, we had um, Heather Gartner on two weeks ago to talk about um, imposter mm-hmm. syndrome. And a lot of what we talked about was like that feeling of like of um, that you were sort of starting with, like not 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 thinking you're good enough, not thinking you belong in these spaces. Mm-hmm. And but you put in the work you 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 made you brought yourself to these spaces you made yourself known and and sometimes what it takes is someone taking a chance on you and that's not something you can always engineer but the more opportunities you give for yourself the more likely it is to happen so that I think it's a really good story for people to hear who are waiting for that to happen to them and it explains necessarily why it's not guaranteed to happen but there are ways to to prevent it from happening which is to not put in the the time that that Mm -hmm. you did and not show up right like the opportunity you got to show up and and meet people because all the work gets done by people um yeah it's a really cool story it's so serendipitous hanging out in the microsoft i don't know this is a really cool story (laughs) (laughs) yeah of course there are different strategies now in this era but that's outside the scope of this episode (laughs) yeah it's funny because i the one thing i feel like i know and do really well is networking and then you're like Let's talk about audio stuff. I'm like, oh, geez, but I'll do it. <laughs> I might as well. I should. 
Well, Stephen prepared this outline for this interview, but like this is something that I have a little background in. So I feel like I'm going to take the wheel a little bit on asking some of these and, and also ooing and eyeing at your answers. <laughs> um, but let's talk about just like the nitty gritty. Like I think like everyone's got their own different setup and there's no one setup that's perfect for everybody. But I want to hear about all the tools you use. And let's start with like, what's your main DAW, your main audio software? Reaper gang. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. All right, so first things first, a DAW is a digital audio workstation, and it is essentially how audio people do most of their work. Um, I think the most famous and well-known DAW is maybe GarageBand. It is, of course, free and therefore not as complex and as robust, but like, for anyone who's just like, oh, I only have GarageBand, like, no, that's super legit, and it's a perfect place to start out. Um, mm -hmm. If you want to go up from there, there totally are options. I know that Logic is usually a really step, is a common step up because it's similar. Um, I use Reaper. Reaper is something that was recommended to me by a friend because it was one inexpensive, two does everything. Those two things alone make it super worth it to me. Um, mm -hmm. it's pretty. What's the word I'm thinking? There's there's a lot of customization, and so like to some people it can feel kind of rabbit holey. Um, I don't even really dig too far deep. I'm just like, man, it's so cheap. There's a, a there's a free trial period that is incredibly forgiving and after a time I'm like yeah i will buy the license and yeah. so relative to other DAWs, it's so inexpensive isn't the license like 19 dollars or something wow it's, no 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 it's oh, okay. 60 dollars <laughs> oh okay, okay that's okay. still that's still pretty I, I have a memory because i i use reaper for back in the old days uh i may i did um uh stuff for rock band network uh does anybody remember that? I've told this story in the show before, I think. Mm -hmm. But where you actually use MIDI to to create rock band note charts, mm -hmm. and it's the tools that Harmonix used, and they opened up the 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 pro to a wide variety of people. And I started a little business to. I, I'm. I'll, we'll find the episode where I talk more in depth about it. We'll link in the show notes. But I used Reaper for this purpose because it was the only thing that worked with all of Harmonix's like plugins and stuff. And I remember paying yeah next to nothing. It felt anyway. Um, at the time for it and then realizing like wow this is more than just this tool for this rock band thing it looks like a real like in-depth piece of so and the midi tools are great which is i think something that you really really want uh, yeah. in a daw um, it's why that pro tools is like not as good because it's midi tools are not great i have never used pro tools but i despise pro tools with burning passion because it's the <laughs> quote-unquote industry standard but that's not uh, even yeah. the case anymore mm -hmm. um yeah. maybe in the film film industry for game audio, it's a lot more varied, uh, but yeah. Pro Tools just crashes all the time. Mm. I feel like it doesn't look good. It crashes <laughs> all the time. I had a friend who was mixing and mastering my my EP on it, and it was delayed by literally like four months because it crashes all the time. Mm. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I have I have no desire for anyone to use Pro Tools if they're new. I'm just like use. The answer is like, oh, what DAW should I use? Like, if you already have a DAW, use what DAW you're comfortable. Otherwise, use Reaper. And if you don't like the DAW that you're using, use Reaper. And if you do <laughs> like the DAW you're using, check out Reaper because it's got a free trial period. That's really, that's really forgiving. Like, what are you going to lose? Yeah, yeah. And there's communities around all of these. So I think mm -hmm. a lot of times you want to use the standard or what everyone else is using or what has the most community support. Certainly, if you're a game dev, you're thinking about that for which engine you're going to use. But I, for, for music, when I compose, I use Reason because it's very oh, MIDI-focused. Yeah. 
And I picked that even knowing that it's a much smaller, more niche program. And it wasn't something that I was going to be so in- involved in that I knew I was going to need a lot of, I was needed to Google a lot of stuff. But I felt pretty comfortable because every one of these tools has really robust communities. Mm-hmm. So whatever you use is, is so I, I agree, like use what you use. So it's funny because when I was in college, I had a music technology class and they mm-hmm. taught it like first semester freshman year. So frankly, I was like too busy figuring out life and how to be a college <laughs> student for me to like understand things. And mm-hmm. so they taught us reason. And oh. I had no idea what a doll was mm-hmm. back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had no idea what I was doing in it. And I'm like, what is this? I don't get it. Like, why can't I just learn Sibelius and Finale? And we did. But for some reason, reason was the doll that they taught us. And I forgot about it for a long time. Um, you are actually the first person I know that like uses reason primarily. Not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> have you um, have you ever used uh, FL Studio? That's the service my brother uses. I haven't, but I have heard good things. A friend of mine said that he really likes the MIDI editor in that. Um, So, yeah, it it seems good and it seems legit, but I've never... I Honestly, I haven't touched any DAW other than Reaper. And there was a a very, very small light version that came uh, of Cubase that came with my audio interface. Um, It was like weird and it didn't look like a DAW, at least the thing that I had. So I just was like, I don't get it and stopped. Sure, sure. Uh, I was just gonna say that um, my my brother, yeah, he's been using FL Studio for a long time, and uh, he likes it. But I think like part of the reason why he used it is because he's kind of a hipster and he uses <laughs> things where people are like, um, "Oh, this is a bad thing. Don't use it." He's like, "I'll Steve, show don't them." Slander. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta give him some fodder when he comes back on the show in a year. <laughs> yeah. Like um, the, only, the only one I hate is Pro Tools, and it's yeah. not even bad in terms of functionality, just that it crashes. Do people still mm. think that FL Studio is bad? I don't think they do anymore, but back when my brother Charles started using it, he, uh, I think people did think that. And that was, this was a long time ago. This is like 15 mm-hmm. years ago or something. Well, your brother's a good use case because he's been a long time mm-hmm. user of that program. Yeah, and, yeah. And that's part of what makes it good for you in particular. If you, if you have a history with something, if it gets, if it does what you need it to do, if it works mm. for your workflow, yeah. then like that's as good a reason as any to yeah. like stick with it. Like I personally love Pro Tools as a as a as an editor mixer, but mm-hmm. I but yeah, it does crash <laughs> all the time. <laughs> and I, I haven't used it in years because mm-hmm. I find for recording recording analog audio and mixing, I like Audition, and that's what we use for the podcast. Um, and then for composing, because I, I'm not a great musician and I don't record analog instruments anymore, Reason really suits me very well. It's very all in one. It's very much a it's very much a laptop and a tiny keyboard kind of uh, um, mm. uh, studio that suits my workflow because uh, mu- music is just a uh, it's sort of side to what I normally do. Yeah. But I want to hear um, uh, Chell because you are a, a multi instrumentalist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to hear about um, your recording setups. Like, do you do you use a lot of MIDI, do you, a lot of uh, um, uh, samples? Do you record a lot of your instruments? I can see many in the frame behind you uh, on our video call. So it's funny because I actually don't record a lot of instruments. I mm-hmm. just like instruments and collecting them. But um, majority of my soundtracks are actually with MIDI. I use live instruments for very specific things. Uh, but in general, yeah, I actually do MIDI. I am mm-hmm. I come from a, a background of like being classically trained. <laughs> um, and uh, from a, like a, a orchestral wind ensemble, wind ensemble kind of world. 
So that's just kind of like what I'm used to. And I think about things in terms of like real instruments. And so like thinking about synths is kind of hard for me. And like, how do I get this specific synth sound? I don't know. Usually I ask, ask a friend and or like I'll scroll through presets and see what like sounds cool. Mm-hmm. Um, as for recording music, um, for Kine, everything was MIDI except for two instruments, which was um, it was fun guitar that my friend Trey Hodge record uh, recorded. And the string bass line, which is constantly playing, it was a VST that was also doubled by Luno or Christopher Smith. He's also an indie dev. Um, for all of the movement, the trombone and accordion especially, that was all live recorded mm. where I had my back to this closet and I I had this weird metal cage. Mm. Um, they're like these sort of metal cage things where you like hook them together and you can make boxes out of and you can make shelves and whatever. So I made mm-hmm. I made like this shell and I threw my blanket over it and I put my microphone just like awkwardly hanging over it and I had I had like no space and so like I used an Xbox controller that was that was like connected to my mouse to like click the record button on my DAW oh. while I was trapped <laughs> in this cage. Um I, I have a video of it somewhere, but it's also like out of date. Um so I, I might like show it again, but I, I don't know. I, I, I disassembled the cage. And so if I need to record something seriously again, I'll reassemble it. But mm-hmm. also the accordion, the the sound comes out of the right side. So I had to like tilt my body to the left while like leaning over to see my sheet music across the room as I it was like the most jank thing <laughs> ever. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> oh, I love that. that. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, that like that like uh uh, grassroots kind of development style. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so. mm-hmm. <laughs> That's one of the things I think people uh, who are getting into, especially now that people are like people are getting into podcasting or are setting up their their Zoom setup because everyone's yeah. doing meetings and they're wanting something a little bit more in a webcam. Like ultimately, there the bar is pretty low for like good quality equipment. I would say it's still worth spending money on things that matter. Um, and I think maybe that's why like research and, and knowing more about how these things work. But like, I know for this podcast, we use $20 mics and sounds great. Like, not, you know, um, but so, yeah, just a, a, a cage and a blanket in a closet is as good as, a, as you know, a fully sound isolated Abbey Road studio or something. Yeah. Like, it really is. Right. Mm-hmm. Like you have the maybe it's a little jankier and you have to work at, at it in a certain different way. But um, I think it's good to hear mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so so yeah you you do most MIDI and and you record you record a little bit when you have to. Um uh what is what are the tools you use? What's the 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 um what microphones do you have? What uh, what audio interface do you use for those things? And do you find that it's actually not that important because you don't use them that much? So, um for the audio interface, I don't actually know enough of it to feel like there's a big impact. I just mm-hmm. got one that was cheap. Um, I got the UR22 Mark II by Steinberg. Um, I know a lot of people use Focusrite. Um, there's something else that I heard about. Um, I don't even really remember. But this one was like, I think maybe 100 to 150 bucks. As for microphones, um, for a really long time, I actually used the SM7B every day. But lately, people have been saying that like I've been extra quiet. Mm-hmm. So like really recently, I started using this. Um, it's the Audio-Technica AT2035. I've had this nearly as long as I had the SM7B, but um, I just didn't use it as much. Also, condenser microphones pick up background sound a lot easier. Mm-hmm. So on one mm-hmm. hand, I, if I'm like leaning back here or if I'm like 
leaning forward like this. It's not too bad. Uh, whereas the 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 SM7B is like literally one of the most. It's so quiet. I have max gain on that microphone, mm. and it still is only really heard if you're actually like right next to it. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. For anyone starting out, I would also recommend the uh, Shure SM75 or Shure SM57. It is really inexpensive, and you can find them used basically everywhere, and they're like nearly indestructible. Yeah, there's two Shure microphones that people, even who aren't in audio, are well familiar with because you've seen them in music videos a million times. The 58 is the standard-looking microphone with the the silver uh, 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 cage, the silver circle at the top. The 57 is the one that uh, Chell's just showing us, um, which is uh, has a sort of a, it looks a little bit more like a, a cigar, I guess. <laughs> and is I, when I was in radio, like we used the 58 for vocals and the 57 for uh, amps. And but that's I, I don't even know why. Like they're both they're, they can both be run over by a truck. They're both indestructible. They're used in touring bands and stuff. Um, but you have to talk directly mm. into them is the is the drawback, right? I was just saying that the, the at least with the 57, like you don't need to like boost the gain all the way up. Oh yeah. So there, like, so there's a difference between a dynamic microphone, a condenser microphone, and frankly, a, you don't need to know too much about it. Like, there's a lot of resources out there, but um, a dynamic microphone is usually a lot more direct in how it picks up sound. And a condenser microphone, you need to have like what we call phantom power, and it's like 48 volts through, which every audio interface will supply. Um, and it just picks up sound usually all around. And there's stuff we could talk about cardioid pa- patterns, but it, it doesn't matter really. Not really. That's how I feel at least. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's good to know these things, but it's good to kind of know. Them. <laughs> yeah. It's like, like I, I like to get into the weeds. I'm a read the manual person, but honestly it's once you know a little bit, you know, all you need, I, I would say, <laughs> you know, but it can be helpful to know a little bit because it can be, it can be easy. You can get easily confused. Mm. Um, like why isn't working as well because you didn't provide it phantom powers like why do I need to do that it's like just read this five minute article and it's all you ever need to know for the rest of your life about <laughs> it you know um, mm-hmm. but finding all those things is, is is kind of difficult so it certainly helps to have like a network of people or to, be, to sort of join communities and that's something we always talk about on the show is like sharing information um, but I don't think there's a lot of need for people to be experts right on, on, on some of this stuff that's different for like if you're a programmer, I think that the more you know about debugging, the better you are. Like there's a, you know, there's always a limit to how much, you know, is necessary. But there are certain types of things that you can get by and you should be comfortable getting by and spending your time on your craft, mm-hmm. I suppose. Right? It depends on what your focus is. You know. If you want to specialize in music, then yeah, work on that more. Um mm-hmm. yeah. And it depends on like what what kind of what kind of you know, what do you want to do? Do you want to work, focus more on um, uh, like on on uh, post-production or uh, audio engineering or, you know, the things that would require? I think it's it could be very daunting to like need to know all of this stuff. Frankly, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Identifying what you don't need to know a lot of is actually almost as hard as actually learning it. Right. Yeah, it, it's it's really intimidating. And I feel like it, it's easy to fall into the, the trap of like, all I have to know all of this before I can start. And and frankly, yeah. uh starting is starting something I think is like the second hardest thing to do, where like finishing, if it's like a project and finishing is like the hardest thing to do sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um so it, it's easy to fall into the trap of like how much do I have to know and like all this sort of stuff. No one taught me how to write music. 
and I learned about micro. I already kind of knew some stuff about microphones from school, um, but like I didn't know a lot of stuff. Things I, I I just watched a lot of YouTube tutorials and I asked for a lot of help, mm-hmm. and I still go through. Like I use Muse Score, which is free. I write my MIDI in Muse Score. I port the MIDI into Reaper. I humanize it some, and I like and I still mix it and whatnot. But like. You don't need expensive stuff. You don't need to know everything. You just at least need to get started. Mm-hmm. It's a really good point that you have about like asking for help because and I don't want to get us off track. I know we have a lot of mm-hmm. technical stuff to get into as well. Um, but people love to help other people. You know, like there's someone who's further along their journey who has expertise or has knowledge that you don't, and they probably want to share it. Just put your question out there, and someone will come to your rescue, most likely. Not always, but sometimes, you know, I think it's, it's a, it's a thing you can do and don't be, you know, don't feel like you're going to be judged because go back and listen to the imposter syndrome episode. Everyone's thinking the same thing. Am I good enough? Am I good enough? Am I going to get, you know, found out as someone who doesn't know everything? No, no one knows everything. Put your question out there. Ask for help. Yeah. Yeah. And, and charge forward without all the answers. Like it, 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 that I think is, and Maybe maybe you'll be better tomorrow, but that doesn't. But if you don't do anything today, then you know for sure you won't. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's how I felt. That's one of the reasons why I chose a, a reason as a DAW because it has all of its like integrated uh, synthesizers, and so I didn't need to learn about how to program a synthesizer or get a bunch of plugins. I could just use presets and change some dials, and that made me that made me very comfortable. Like I felt very intimidated by a lot of that stuff. And felt like if I was just using the one of five presets, then I would be found out as like, as, you know, it's like using the three voices on a Casio keyboard. It feels like <laughs> you're not making anything new. But then you, it's easy to forget that like so much of it is your own artistry and it doesn't matter. You could play it all on a grand piano and it's the same grand piano. It's been played for hundreds of years, but you can still make something new with that. And so that made me comfortable. I think everyone needs to find their own way of being comfortable. Um, it's not, it isn't going to be the same for everybody, but the, I think we're all saying it like you can just, you know, you don't have to worry about not knowing it all yet. Yeah. There are only 12 notes in the Western scale and people are doing new stuff with that all the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, I will say that like there's there's the one thing that Reaper doesn't have is like built in instruments. But like there are a lot of free synths that are really good. Like yeah. <clears throat> uh, Helm uh, by I think it's Matt Title. Uh, Helm is really good free synth. Uh, Tal Noisemaker is a really good free synth. Uh, and like I used Helm a lot for the most recent thing that I worked on and I mean I was I was paid pretty well for it so like it's fine to use free stuff there's a lot of really good stuff and also mm-hmm. as to, like what Mark said about like oh are people mm-hmm. going to find out I have only recognized two instruments I think ever from like listening to other people's work where it's like hey this is the helm preset that I use called fluffy landscapes that I also used a lot like hey I recognize <laughs> that and then the other one was like hey is that the the free key base by Mark, Mark I don't even remember what it's called but like no one cares. I'm like, hey, I, I yeah. use that too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, it reminds me of just like um um all of the like free assets and stuff that we use for um really for programming. Frankly, you should I bet if you look at any like AAA code, you'd see a bunch of the crap that they found from Unity Forms. <laughs> they just like copy pasted <laughs> it for their yeah. own purposes. It's the same kind of stuff. Yeah, it does. It you're, it does mimic a lot of the same things you hear about people using um, code samples and store assets for uh, game development. 
and the same kind of psychological path you take from thinking that's thinking that's cheating all the way to I need to get this done, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> So let's talk about, I, I think, yeah, we got it. We threw a bunch of names in there. I think we'll put mm -hmm. a lot of those in the show notes so we can kind of investigate some of the tools that you use and some of the things we've talked about. Um, but let's walk through it step by step. So let's, uh, maybe this is a hypothetical scenario because every little task is different, but you've got to write a piece of music. Uh, where do you start? Um, typically, if I have a song for something, there's usually some sort of parameter, like what's the song about? Who is it for? Where is it played? Um, you know, I get that stuff. And then I hope that inspiration strikes me and if it doesn't then i kind of have to force it but typically i start writing in muse score which is a free notation writing software um other notation software includes finale and sibelius but i despise finale and i owned it and i paid money for it and now i use free stuff over it so <laughs> yeah i use muse score i write something um i think particularly i'm very melody driven and then I'll like write harmonies underneath it. Sometimes I'll write harmonies if, if there's a specific groove, and then I have to figure out how to put a melody on top of it. Sometimes I don't like that as much, but if the groove is really good, then it works. Eventually, I get mm -hmm. more or less everything I want done in there, and then I hit export MIDI, and I drag and drop that into Reaper. Once I'm in Reaper, I then apply instruments to these MIDI files, or to the, to the MIDI, because each of the MIDI will be on a track, and then I just put an instrument on those tracks, um occasionally occasionally i'll record something live that is like written but even though i play trombone sometimes i feel like it just doesn't blend as well as like like vst trombones do there's there's a lot of nuance and and human elements to things that you can get with playing live but sometimes there are some things that are really good at faking it and frankly i also like have I've thought about this for a while. I feel like the authenticity of instruments is like a little overrated. Seeing things with fake instruments sound great. That doesn't yeah. mean it's bad. It just means that like, okay, it's not like a real person playing it. Whatever. The song still bops. Um, hmm. After I write the instrument, also like um, I typically use like contact instruments, like native instruments. So if there's if there is like one thing that I do recommend saving it for, it's complete because like contact is really important and a lot of things use contact. It comes with a buttload of synths and a bunch of other things. That's complete with yes. a K, right? That's the 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 um well it is it's it's just a bunch of it's instruments, of right? Uh yeah, Ellen? I have a vocabulary question. Yes. <laughs> when you say contact instruments, what does that mean? So um Native Instruments is a company that makes plugins. They have a plugin called Contact. Contact is also with a K because for some reason, everything that starts with a C, they just instead replace with Ks. So, <laughs> okay. Contact is a instrument sampler player, I think is the best way to describe it. Um, basically, a lot of things that are like instrument samplers will mm -hmm. be through Contact. So like some things you just load up through like their, their own browser. Other things you can just have it installed through the native instruments installer, which is not a great thing sometimes. Uh, but typically, that's not too bad. Uh, so, for example, the majority of Kine was written using Swing and Swing More by Project Sam. Those are expensive, but I was paid a lot upfront, and so then I'm like, I'm gonna splurge because this is like what it was like one of the big, big purchases of my career, and to this day, it's still one of the biggest purchases of my career. 
So I I loaded those up through Contact, and it has a lot of really good sounding jazz instruments. So that's what Contact is, and Contact is also part of a bundle called Complete with a K. And there's three <laughs> versions of Complete. There's like Complete Select, Complete Standard, and then like the full Complete, which is so much money. Um, I have this. I have the standard one, which I got on sale on like Black Friday. So that comes with a lot of synths, a lot of instruments for Contact. Um, some plugins like a compressor and an EQ and some like there's just a lot of things that it comes with. I went through and started um taking I was I was um putting all my plugins into a spreadsheet and just being like I've never used this I have never used this I don't even know what this is <laughs> so at some point I I need to mess around because at least with complete it covers a lot of bases that I mm-hmm. I ever needed um so after I write everything then I have to mix and mixing is hard and. I like no one taught me composition, but no one taught me mixing, and that's a lot harder for me to figure out. So mm. I've been learning as I go. Um, after you mix, you can. There's a process called mastering, which I don't even know how to describe. Mastering is just like you make, you typically give someone else the master. They make sure that it sounds good. They'll do a couple of tweaks and they bring the volume to a, a certain level. Mm. I don't know. <laughs> mastering is weird. <laughs> I, I ma- mastering was described to me a long while back as the um, like a post post process. So when you're mixing, you're taking all the individual pieces and you're 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 equalizing them, you're leveling them, you're mixing mm-hmm. them, right? Like you think of a mixing board. It's it's just that um, mastering is and this isn't always the case, I suppose, but it's done after to the final piece. You export that file and you have your stereo track or whatever. And then the mastering is doing all that same stuff, but to mm. just one track. Um, at least that's that's not a full definition, but that's... And then you think about it, oh, right, because mixing it is great, but when you master it, you want it to sound good on headphones and good gun speakers, and it's going to be one file that needs to do both of those things. And like, it's much more of a mm. science, I think, which is why a lot of people, musicians and people who are like great like post-production audio engineers, m- mastering is like a whole nother universe in a way. Um, it's like very fine grained and you can also get away with not doing it like <laughs> because it's because it's very fine grained. That's that's how that's the way it lives in my mind anyway. I don't know. Does that sound? Yeah, right it's uh, I, I have talked to some people who are students at Berkeley and they're like they're talking about like the specific tool for mastering called like Sequoia or something, which is like insanely expensive. And, and they're saying that like to their trained professional ear, they can hear when someone uses like the auto master function and like in isotopes ozone but like i don't know <laughs> i don't know <laughs> it, it's it's if you give it to someone who knows what they're doing they can do something with it and if you don't know what you're doing it's just like fa- there, there's like a there's some guides and you can just try it and it's like a very it's a very small process if you don't know what you're doing i feel like so i think mixing is like if, if you want to learn like oh mm-hmm. do i need to learn mixing like Mixing is where like you do the majority of your of like making things sound good. Like the writing has to like one, the writing sounds good. Okay, sure. And then you put the instruments on it, and then like mixing is the process of like, okay, uh, we move things left and right so that there's a lot more stereo width and you and like not everything is just like crowded in the center. You can EQ things. EQ is it called uh is, is short for equalizer, and that's for like moving different frequencies so you can raise some frequencies and you can lower other frequencies and you can even cut out frequencies completely um 
that's uh, like so the biggest things are eq compressor and some say like reverb uh compressor is a matter of um you bring levels more consistently and so it's like okay so if if a note is like really long like da or if it's really short like da um shorter ones like you can have a compressor and it will bring down the initial attack which is called a transient so it'll bring down the initial attack of the sound and it kind of brings the level down um but also with a compressor, you can bring the entire level up. So in general, it typically makes things louder or it can make things that stick out, stick out less. Hmm. Um, and then reverb. We can demonstrate that here on the show because we uh, run the audio for the show through a compressor. So if I yell really loud like this and if I whisper really loud, really quiet like this, it, it the loud part sounds louder. But in fact, the actual volume in your headphones, dear listener, maybe not to us on the call because we haven't <laughs> yeah. had a compressor yet. <laughs> but the volume, if you were to run it through an analyzer, would be about the same. Um, and so, because there's a difference between volume and loudness and a compressor is what, you know, gets you there. It's so that when you're playing uh, audio in your car with the windows down, you can still hear the quiet parts, um, uh, mm -hmm. you know, on the radio, right? Um, I guess also like, the, the last thing is reverb, which is, I think most people know what reverb is, but it's like how long something sounds after it ends. And uh, typically, like, I mean, you can make things very reverby. Um, also, like, before this becomes confusing, people typically say that if something is reverby and it has a very long tail and it lasts a long time, that's wet. And if it doesn't, then that's dry. Uh, hmm. Typically, I actually like what's interesting is that a lot of the things that I did for kind was like really was pretty dry and then we had someone who did a little bit of sound design outside of what i already did and his stuff is so so wet and i know that to people out of context like that sounds gross and i hate it i'm like <laughs> i'm sorry but to other audio people that, that makes sense so it was just like it was really wet and what i had was really dry I'm like hmm so i had to I, I i did make mine a little bit more reverby and i tried to cut off the tails of his somewhat uh which was a little bit weird i'm like oh man i wish i had the, the sounds pre pre-reverb so I can at least make them shorter but at the same time it sounds nice yeah that's one of the things that uh, brings us to the other half of this there's something that uh, composers are regularly asked to do yeah. which is sound design and you mm -hmm. you had to do this process where you took audio from two different creators and try to make them sound like mm -hmm. part of the same universe and that alone is sound design but um, can you talk a little bit about that and how you got into that part of it for sound design I hate sound yeah. design <laughs> <laughs> um most yeah so um i i've talked about this with other people before but there's something i like to think of as like the hourglass approach where like what do you want to do in life do you want to be a composer do you want to be a sound designer most people don't know right away um some people thought they wanted to be composers and then they fall in love with sound design i did sound design and most indie games like at the very beginning at least if they're small teams very often they're done by both um mm. I don't do just sound design. And when I do sound design, it's for a game that I'm already doing music for. And because of who I am, most of my sound design ends up being very musical. Um, mm. That's just kind of how I think anyways. So when, mm -hmm. I, when I think of the hourglass approach, it's like you start wide and then like you slowly hone in on something that you start to both enjoy and are like good at. And then like you like the thin part is like actually like significantly longer than the rest. But like, you stick with what you're good at for a while. And then once you're like established and comfortable, then you can like start to branch out and do like other stuff that you think is cool and interesting. Like, 
that's how I think of it, at least. Yeah. So an interesting way to yeah, that's a really clever way to mm -hmm. to visualize it. I like that a lot. So yeah, sound design is um sound design is a process that I find frustrating because I feel like it is the process of doing a full composition but times a million and like way shorter. Uh sound designers I've talked to, they're like, I don't like composing because I don't have the ability to like focus on making this full song and I like the sandboxy feeling of like how is this sound with this thing and, and you mix and match stuff and you put plugins on top um, so there, there's a process called like layering where you take different sounds and you stack them on top of each other um, and there's like there's three parts of a sound where it's like the transient which is the front there's the like the main body I think it's just called body and then there's the tail um, so then they're like oh I like just say, for example, a gunshot is uh, something that has like uh, a transient that will that can be like even something that's just like tick, 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 tick. But then they have like, a lot more body and tail, like depending on how far and how big the gunshot is like mm -hmm. that. That's just like something that like if you see also like guns in video games don't sound like guns in real life. Mm -mm. Yeah, they always they almost always layer real gun sound effects. But then there's a whole nother process. Mm hmm. Right, because these things serve mechanical purposes right. in the game. It's not. It's not purely a, a, a an effort to make things sound either realistic or even realistic to the world or theming of the game. A lot of it has to do with the game design because it can really um, impact your your the player's direct mm -hmm. experience. Yeah. It's a form of gameplay feedback, really. Exactly. Yep. More than anything else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's not just about like being good at audio stuff, like. It's about like, are you able to work directly with with the game designers and developers on making sure those have that process of back and forth? So it's not just different technically; the whole process is different, mm -hmm. right? I I think um especially sound design is really tricky because like there's like there to an extent it's like really good sound design you don't notice, but at the same mm -hmm. time there are also like specific mm -hmm. sounds that will like stick in your brain forever. Some of that is particularly like UI stuff can be interesting or like a very specific action. So like if you just think about the rings of Sonic and has like a very distinct pickup sound. Right. Um, you think about the Metal Gear Solid alert sound. That's a really distinct one, too. Mm -hmm. um, but a lot mm -hmm. of times, like even as an audio person, I'll like not even think about how something sounds because I'll just be deeply immersed in a, in a, a thing. Um, and I remember specifically, like, there's, I think it was Marshall McGee has this, uh, has a lot of videos. Um, but he talked about how in, in Uncharted, there's a point where, like, they throw a rope and you can throw a rope and swing from different places. And when you throw that rope, it has, like, this sort of whip sound. And of course, like, in real life, when you throw a rope, there's, like, barely any sound to it at all. Mm -hmm. But, like, in the moment, that doesn't matter. That doesn't make, that it doesn't need to matter because you get this feedback and it has a snap to it. And you're like, all right, I'm, like, ready to go and ready to climb and whatever. Yeah, like sword swings don't right. sound like anything either, <laughs> right? But mo movies and television have convinced us otherwise for a long time. So it's not, you know, it's it's yeah, it's just about like making it seem real, and in in a game that means the, the that that feedback as well. Um, I think it's more about like making it feel impactful than making mm -hmm. it feel real. Because like, mm -hmm. um, I don't know, like mm -hmm. when you watch uh, a, a movie and like somebody shoots a silenced pistol, it makes a little sound or whatever. And it's like very exaggerate in how quiet that. Wait, what was that? Do that again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks. Uh, um, 
and it, so it's very exaggerated in how like it's silenced, but like a silenced pistol in real life is not like that. The I, I think the purpose of that is so as the as a watcher, as somebody viewing the movie, they understand that this pistol is quiet and it's intended for other people to not hear it. So like it is an, an additional like um it's more feedback. It's I guess it's additional feedback so the Right it has a narrative function. Yeah, yeah. So that right. like people yeah. understand what that the purpose of that is. And it goes the same with like game design, um and in video games too, where like the like the the rope thing like Chell was saying, um it just tells the player that you're doing something with your button press and it's causing something impactful to happen at this moment. That's how I see it. Anyway. Well, that explains a lot of why Chell, you're describing people who get into they, they, they get into audio and then they go one way or the other mm-hmm. and, and probably, and, and one tends to have difficulty with the other as time goes on because they are not the same in any way, but very frequently you're called upon to do both, especially at indie mm-hmm. scale. Mm hmm. Right. And so you have to you have to find your way to be good at both, even if, you know, you hate it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's all you have to say about that. Uh, Yeah. I mean, like there are some people that do enjoy both and they do both. Mm. But Mm. it it is typically at a certain level. One seems to take precedence over the other. Mm. Yeah. Um, Like I know at uh, a shell in a pit is a company that has done a lot of audio in general for like several games like they did they did the sound design for night in the woods they did both the music and the sound design for wander song but the same mm-hmm. studio that made wander song they're now making a game called chicory the music is done by lena rain but they still have a shell in the pit doing the sound design for that so mm-hmm. i think for them at least sound design is like sometimes they do a whole audio package but i think typically the the sound design is what they are like at least maybe prioritized for i don't know Mm -hmm. and then like like what you're describing those sound effects that you had to then go in and and do additional design on to line up with the music in kind um like establishing those kinds of workflows amongst like an audio department is an interesting challenge for uh for folks at at indie and and you know uh, and slightly higher uh, scale of, of projects is making sure that 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 communication between people works, even when you are hiring people for different things, because the sound, the sound of a game still has to feel like it comes from one voice, even mm-hmm. when those things are very different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wish I wish we had a sound designer at work because we have to just do that ourselves. And like, I wasn't really hired to make make or find sounds. It's a whole yeah. involved process. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I think uh, solo devs, you know, they find their sound effects on free sound mm-hmm. and that's cool. Like, yeah. go ahead. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, just like it's it's OK if you don't know everything. That's true if you know nothing like mm-hmm. it. You just have to know that's what it is. You know, yeah, um, I think a little bit can go a long way and I would recommend that. But, yeah, I think people are very, very frequently in the position of not knowing that it's worthwhile yeah. to like to hire somebody or or, or to, to put some real effort into it because um like chell you were saying good sound design you don't notice and so it's the same with like good editing and film like yes people don't appreciate it enough you know i still don't know enough about editing but then like when i see someone explain stuff and then i i don't know like i as i've gotten older a good editor for like visual media or like linear media is something that i i still need to appreciate more but a producer is someone that i'm like (laughs) Oh God! How do things ever yeah. survive? It speaks <laughs> producers. God, yeah. producers. 
They're the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they keep mm-hmm. things organized. That's cool. a lesson you learn over and over in indie. Like if you're on a small yeah. team or you're a solo dev, you start like appreciating those niche roles one by one <laughs> over mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Sure. As you try to take them on yourself, like this will be fine. I can do this too. Nope. <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe you can get away with it. Yeah. Well, that's a that's a question I want to ask actually, Chell. Um, with re- with respect to like composing and the sound design, um, how did you coordinate with um the kind team and other teams to like get uh everything to feel like a whole piece? So, um, for the most part, I was supposed to do the entire audio. She, um, when she got grant money. She ended up hiring like a art studio that she outsourced some like work to. Mm-hmm. Um, she hired a friend that uh, he helped do like the the second pass for la- the audio systems. And so I, I did like a, a minor amount of tweaking within it. Like, oh, I want these sound effects to be like randomized and I want like whatever or some some stuff like that. Minor pitch randomization. Uh, typically, he, he did actually most of like the engine stuff. And in addition, he also did some sound effects. Um, as for making them blend together, to be perfectly honest, I don't think they do. Oh, <laughs> I think I think it sounds good. I think it sounds good, but I I won't say that I think that they necessarily blend together. But I don't think that matters. It's interesting because normally I feel like UI stuff is really dry, and when you hover over things, really nice piano stuff plays over it. Um. And so he did this, the piano stuff on the UI, actually. Uh, this is Patrick Balthrop, by the way. And so Patrick did Pat, uh, Patrick did the some of the piano stuff. Um, I'm trying to think what else. He, he took some of my recordings and he implemented in and then like made them really reverby. Mm. Um, so I think in general, it's it's not so much as like you take a thing and you take another thing and you figure out a way to match them together. It's more of a a collaborative thing, especially for sound designers, because like if it's a big enough team, you'll have multiple sound designers. The mm-hmm. studio that I uh, I was working at, we had two sound designers, and there was me, and so like they knew each other quite well, and they could at least like it was there was good communication all across the board. Okay. And when it got to implementation, they were going to do some, they're going to do a process of like trying to figure out how does the sound effects sound over the music and all sorts of other technical stuff like do we gate stuff? I don't know. We never actually got there because uh, we all got laid off. Hmm. Ah. Dang. Rough. Bummer. <laughs> but it was good while it lasted, is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've definitely had work experiences like that where like it's like, well, the whole thing was a disaster. But those there were parts. There were parts, you know, that you like take with you as like good examples going forward. I love the audio <laughs> team. very diplomatic (laughs) um ellen what who is brandon sanderson oh my gosh he's a great (laughs) great novelist Okay, because y'all were talking about that on the Nice Games Club Discord channel, and I don't know who yeah. that is, so... <laughs> yeah, we talk about a lot of fun things on the Nice Games Club Discord channel, and sometimes yeah. we talk about... Well, probably going to talk about him pretty often over the next month or so. <laughs> Brandon Sanderson, writer of all the Cosmere novels. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, it's not just games up in here. It's... 
all sorts of nerdy stuff. But there is, yeah, there is games talk, though, still, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yes. we definitely talk about, like, uh, some people have been bringing up, like, ideas they've had for their um, their games that they've been working on recently, and, like, what it takes to start it, or what kinds of... Th- your your goals for what your projects aren't. Mm-hmm. And it's been mm-hmm. a really fascinating discussion to follow. Yeah, it's been fun. Like, ever since we started this, like, we... The show episodes will, like, seed an idea, but then that's not always where people will take it, and that's fantastic to see people, yeah. like... <laughs> ask questions and start discussions and we can we pop in but it's really about it's about the community around nice games yeah. club and it's been really really cool to see and people like putting yeah their project ideas and w- what they're feeling and what they're thinking and then and yeah off topic stuff as well it's been really really cool to see i mean it's it's just a shame that like membership is closed that no one else can be in there i mean otherwise we would like let we tell people about it right oops i um i opened it up <laughs> <laughs> Anyone can access it now. You just have to go to nicegames.club slash discord. To You're telling me uh, it's not an exclusive club? It, no, no. A- anyone can be a part of it. Yeah, wow. sorry. Well, you have to be nice and you have to be awesome. It's, it's exclusive in that way. <laughs> that, that's true. That's well, true. How, how, do, how does one get there? Nicegames.club slash discord. Well, hold on. I don't know if I heard that quite correctly. Uh, what was that address one more time? <laughs> nicegames.club slash discord. Oh, thanks. <laughs> As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Well, I think before we wrap up, I want to talk about um, sort of a big topic about video game music and what makes it different from music in general. And I think this is something that is... I, in my conversations with other people, there's sort of been a, there's some like tentacle answers to this, but mostly it's kind of like a ephemeral kind of notion. And I would like to hear your thoughts, which is like, how, you know, what, how does, what makes video game music special or unique as a genre, even though itself encompasses all genres of music? Yeah. So, um, I guess, so there, there, there's a sort of a creative way to answer this question. And there's also a technical way to answer this question. A real quick technical one is, um, interestingly enough, programming is the biggest mm-hmm. one because of implementation and how things are triggered. And mm-hmm. I, d- my specialty, mm-hmm. because I don't like to specify into a single genre, is that I do music with lots of layers. Um, the kind, mu- the kind soundtrack layers vertically, and so new layers get added on top. But also, since the baseline is constant, there mm-hmm. are a bunch of different layers that happen over the same baseline, and so it's technically one big modular song. And so I just kind of been like. That was an idea that I came up with. And then I'm like, oh, geez, this is hard. And then I did it. And now for every game, I'm like, <laughs> how do I make layers a thing? Um, mm. 
so that's like a technical answer of like programming and getting all that to work. I don't do programming myself, but like someone has to for a for like the actual writing process. There's a couple of things. One, um, in general, most music loops, but but video game music has to loop well. Um, if you listen to a top 40 song, there's usually an intro, a like a bridge or no, what is I don't remember all the terms. There's an intro, a verse, a chorus, verse to chorus to a uh, bridge, sometimes a breakdown and then last chorus and then exit or outro, whatever, fade out sometimes. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Video game music is usually it, it like it has to it doesn't ever get to the, the bridge part. It always just loops. Um, I also have the super controversial opinion that Super Mario Galaxy is an overrated game and that oh. its soundtrack is overrated. I can't, oh. I can't believe you found a way to get that into this episode, Shell. Look, go. I like Sunshine. I know you yes. don't, but I'm going to say, so I have a point to this. I have a point to this. And the reason You'd is because better. I have a point to this. In Mario Galaxy 2, the first uh, level uh-huh. has a song that drives me insane. And the reason is because it has, um, it builds and it builds and it has this big crescendo into this very big final feeling cadence. And it's just mm-hmm. like, it has all this drum and stuff like that. And then it transitions into the soft oboe solo. And then that transitions into a clarinet solo and then blah, blah, blah. And stuff, it goes and it goes and it starts to build and it builds and it builds and it builds and then big triumphant cadence. And then it goes into the oboe solo. Into the clarinet solo, and I heard this song loop eight times. <laughs> I was, I wanted to just mess around with the physics and have fun, and just like, oh, you know, new game, like, how's it compared to Galaxy One, and blah blah blah, and all this stuff, and like, oh, you know, you have all this fun, excitingness, and I could subconsciously count how many times a song loops. That is, oh God. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to defend that particular track in Galaxy, but one of the things I love about the Galaxy soundtrack is that it, and this is where maybe we're at odds with this, because video game music does loop, and Mm -hmm. that makes me nervous sometimes, because it makes me feel like it tamps down the creative possibilities for music to move, Mm -hmm. like to to have phases, and I think, and that's, and there's a practical reason for that, right? Because the, the, the designer doesn't always know, unless it's a really complicated Pro, uh, you know, development process doesn't always know what music is playing at what moment of gameplay. So they have less control over that. Mm-hmm. What I love about the Galaxy music, a lot of it anyway, is that it does move in a way that creates user stories. So I play a little bit differently and the dev- the game doesn't really care. But like I, there's a particular part of the music that's a little heightened and I'm playing a part of the level that is that is that then I create the connection as the player between that. And that's what I really like about that music. And I like when video game music does that. But I find a lot of video game music forgettable because it is designed to live in the background. Interesting. And I I, I have a lot of difficulty with that. I hear people talk all the time about, oh, this is my favorite video game soundtrack. And I'm like, people have favorite video game soundtracks? Like, it because I... I, There's such a craft and, and loving dedication and so much ungodly talent in video game music, mm-hmm. but it is by designed meant to not be as memorable as a top 40 hit or something. And mm. that's, that's doing its job. Mm. And so I, I, I find it kind of difficult. And so I love music that, that gets to do a little bit more and takes a, a risk of like coming out of the background a little bit. 
So, um, but maybe that's a controversial opinion amongst people who are into video game music. I have I have several thoughts because <laughs> I feel that way about film music, except for specific film soundtracks that I think are particularly that are particularly memorable and stellar. Like the mm-hmm. Amelie soundtrack is so nice. It's so pretty. Yeah, that's um, I like that one. And my sister, I, I talked to this about my sister. And she's like, what about the Shape of Water soundtrack? I'm like, I hadn't seen Shape of Water at the time. And she played it from like, yeah, this has a lot of character. And this is really nice. And it adds a huge layer of depth. But not to call out a specific movie. I watched Ant-Man and Wasp with my, mm-hmm. I, was, I was watching that movie. And the way I see the music in that game and a lot of film music, it is like shredded lettuce. Provides a layer of <laughs> yeah. texture, but no nutritional content. Yep. And it's, it's just like, oh, you have like the, the, the violins that like kind of play along this one specific ditty to the actions of the movie. But like, it's just like, it's there to provide a new layer. It's just not a very interesting one. Sure. Like shredded yeah. lettuce. Mm-hmm. Doesn't stand on its own. Yeah. Yeah. I think that like the Marvel movies in general probably aren't <laughs> great examples of uh, depth. <laughs> I will say that, like the game music, it depends on the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I think sure, like yeah. more some more modern stuff. Like, I don't know any of the music in Uncharted besides the main theme. Mm-hmm. I don't know like any of the music in, oh, I guess, Last of Us. Sorry, um, you know, sorry to the composers of of Naughty Dog. Um, but um, like one of the most famous songs of all time is probably the Mario song. It is just. Mm-hmm. Super mm-hmm. memorable is written in a way that's memorable, and Koji Kondo himself listened to it for like eight hours straight to see if he would get sick of it because that game has like four songs. Yeah. Um, yeah. there's other. I mean, I just think that in general, like if a a video game memorability comes from how often you hear something and how singable it is, in my opinion. Yeah, and mm-hmm. like I guess various textures and whatnot. Um, I think that the um. Like if I if I think about like a song in Kingdom Hearts, Traverse Town is a is the main hub world that you go back to, and it has like this very warm, cozy clarinet melody, and it just feels like it's one of those places that you just like pause the game and get a snack, and you just hear the music in the background for a long time, mm-hmm. and yeah. and it just it's fine because it loops well and it's and it's got smoothness to it. So I I would like to think that the the music that I wrote for Kind might be in a sort of specifically weird position because it, it kind of literally all blends together because it is kind of technically all one song. But <laughs> I would like to think that at least other music I've written, like the melodies, I feel like I'm, I'm very much melody focused because like a lot of times I straight up just sing a melody or I'll, I'll have an idea in my head and I'll like sing it out and I'll write it down. Um, I don't know. That's just that's my personal take on it. So I'm, I'm not to yeah. say that you're wrong, Mark, but I don't. <laughs> But Sunshine is good. <laughs> sunshine is not good, and this is my show. Oh, boy. I get this is also my show, and I say Sunshine is good. Yeah, two versus one. I quit. <laughs> the music in Sunshine is quite good, because yeah. all Mario yeah. music is good. <laughs> it's a little bit too tropical, like every damn thing about that game. I mean, yeah. But... <laughs> the whole game takes place on an island. At least I can say, I remember every single section of Sunshine. I cannot remember any more than like six galaxies across two Mario Galaxy games. Because it's a linear game. That's by design. It doesn't make you memorize it. Like that's uh-huh. a that's a feature, and not a this bug. This is why but Galaxy anyway. frustrates me because it's disguised as a 3D Mario <laughs> oh game my like goodness. Sunshine in 64, but it's actually a linear game where like the, the new Super Mario Bros and New Land or whatever, like Mario 3D Land, I cannot <laughs> remember those names for the life of me. So Nintendo yeah. 
a bunch of people at Nintendo got together and said, hey, you know what people love is water levels. So let's make a whole game. Um, Joe, I think they just became best friends because I agree with you completely. <laughs> There's not any, like you or all of your frustration videos were in Rico Harbor, which is arguably like the like the most technically frustrating place. And it is also the place with the most water. <laughs> I was like, oh, I, I, uh, listeners who don't know, I, I've been playing Sunshine for the first time fully through. Mm-hmm. I gave up on it the first time I played it, but I'm like, I clearly didn't give it enough a chance. All Mario games are classics, and I'm playing through it again, and it's the hardest thing I've done. But in you're my playing life. a worse <laughs> version that doesn't have various. I, I think there's something about inverting the camera, and also because the Switch doesn't have analog triggers, it makes certain things just harder. Oh, yeah, it yeah, is kind of rough. I'm, I'm trying to give it the benefit of the doubt there. But like when, yeah, I posted a bunch of videos from this terrible, terrible level that's garbage and sucks. And <laughs> and then I was like, you know what? I Maybe I'm being too hard. It's it's one of dozens of levels. And there's like, what, eight, nine levels in Sunshine? Um, so it's a pretty out. big part of the game. Mm. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I don't know if we're going to cut this all out or not. Um, I think there's seven main worlds and then a bunch yeah. of secrets if mm-hmm. I count it correctly whereas Mario 64 has I think well now I have to count that one <laughs> uh, well while you're doing that I do want to say that I'm, I'm really with you on this idea of melody because I think one of the things that, that frustrates me about film music also I think Marvel movies are a great example of yeah. this mm-hmm. is music that doesn't seem to have a point of view that just mm-hmm. kind of wants to get through. It's just, it's like, it is that shredded lettuce that's sort yeah. of like the condiment ready to kind of just take you along. It does its job and no more. Yeah. And I, and I, so I really, really love music in video games and in movies that find a way to make themselves known and not, and not just be background music because the scene needs background music, mm-hmm. become actually a holistic part of the scene. 15 and in worlds. games, that's hard, right? Yeah. It's 15. What was that? 15 and 64. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I th- I think this is interesting cuz like I agree with that. I think that like um I do think that video game music is intended to loop so it's supposed to be something you hear in the background. But I think Chell has a point in that because you hear the same song over and over and over again, mm-hmm. you, it starts to become memorable. Um I've yeah, noticed yeah, I've yeah, noticed yeah. that like when I like jump into a game and I like for the like my, my impression of the music for the first time I'm like, "Oh, I don't this is I don't like this song." I'll like if I play it for long enough, I start playing it for an hour or something. I'll start humming along with it. And then I'm like, what is the song doing to me? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> not even just on the composer, but sometimes the so- like the game itself, like Grant Kirkhope yeah. is pretty consistent. And most of his songs, like those songs get stuck in your head super hard. They're all very memorable. They all have great texture to them and they all are very melodic. But then yeah. I think about like, so the journey soundtrack, I can remember the first song and the last song particularly well. And then a lot of things in the middle, I can't remember as well, because it is kind of it, like that song. Is, it's supposed to blend into like one song overall. Abzu is another game where it's like very flowery and it goes all sorts of places because you're underwater. And it's pretty, but I can't sing any of it. But mm-hmm. um, but Tooth and Tail, same composer, Austin Wintory, has some hard bops in the Tooth and Tail song. And that's like yeah. gritty <laughs> Russian Revolution. Like it's so it's so weird and different. And I love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> huh. I yeah, and now I think about it like a lot of times with video game soundtracks, if I don't remember the actual song itself, I'll remember the feeling I had from yeah. the song, but not like the song itself. Like, like you brought up Journey, Chell, and like that reminds me. I I can't remember any of the songs in Journey, but I remember the emotions I was feeling while I was yeah. playing the game. And I think, and I remember that the soundtrack had a large part in that, mm-hmm. even though I don't remember any of the music specifically. 
Um, yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah, the the moment matters more than like what you take away, like what you what you remember later. Yeah. I guess. I think that's because... I think that's comparable to mu- movies too, honestly, because mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I think there are like some soundtracks where I don't remember the specific song, but I remember like the music came in conjunction with what was happening in the movie, and it made me remember, uh, and it made me feel those emotions again. By that same token, mm-hmm. like the one th- memorable part of the Avengers soundtrack is like its main, like the that one main melody in its theme, yep, and right. then nothing else in that. Yep. And but <laughs> I cannot tell you where that happens in the movie. <laughs> yeah, yep. that's very true. But, but but I do remember that melody. So like it's so it's kind of pointless, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, it's not a great. Yeah, <laughs> I was I was gonna say also like part of my frustration with film music is the fact that I have also done a lot of recording for like at Berkeley they have some like film student recording stuff and so I've gone and recorded stuff with them and they only have the trombones in for this one scene in one of the uh, Hunger Games films and it's like mm. when this one guy dies and so I've played music <laughs> for when this one guy dies for hours. Yeah, and, and they're all different. Some of them are like, "Wow, this one, this person has like the writing is good," and like blah blah. And a lot of times, it's just like, "Man, I feel like film music doesn't have this sort of heart and soul, where it's just like it's it's almost too contextual, mm-hmm. and it's very specific to a moment where I wouldn't like necessarily go back and like listen to it for like kicks. Like, I mean, musicals are different, but like a lot of yeah, times, yeah, yeah. if it's if it's too contextualized." And I, then there's not enough emotion attached. To, I mean, this mm-hmm. this is this is all extremely subjective. Oh yeah, and for so sure. someone might completely be like, "Wow, I now hate Chell for her <laughs> terrible opinion <laughs> about film music and sun and, and galaxy." Um, <laughs> I'm right about galaxy. So, well, I'll I'll leave that to me editing this episode later. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, dip. Ellen's editing this one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we haven't heard Ellen's thoughts. Yet, but, <laughs> but I think when you talk about that contextual element, I think that's one of the things I want from video game music is to be very contextual, which is why I find it difficult to listen to video game music outside of, of that context. But at the same time, you're still right. Like I'm it, always right. It, <laughs> okay, all right. Let's not go too far. <laughs> there... there there's no reason it has to be one or the other. And this goes all the way back to when we were talking about like your, your setup and your workflow. Like what there isn't one answer for all situations, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes, sometimes you want that music that only works in that moment mm-hmm. because that's the way to best achieve what that moment needs. And sometimes you want to have music that can live outside on its own because that has its own special value. Yeah. Right. A lot and of people like know, listening to video game music to study to because it loops naturally and it's yeah. usually pretty level. And that's why mm-hmm. also lo-fi is another genre that people like to listen to mm-hmm. when studying because it's level and it can loop well. I mean, not the mm-hmm. looping part is like optional, but like, yeah, I mean, like I think about the Undertale soundtrack. I studied that soundtrack because I had to conduct it at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, I say had to. I wanted to. And it was great. But <laughs> I conducted it and it was... um. God, there's so much stuff in that soundtrack because it like has all these layout motifs mm-hmm. and all these callbacks and stuff like that. But as songs themselves, they're so good. And mm-hmm. in context, some of them made me cry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like going and then like hearing songs out of the context of playing the game, but it brings back the memory. It, I feel like it brings back the memories of 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 these moments. 
Um, and yeah. some of them are some of them are easier to sing and more memorable. Um, other times I'll hear like there's a, a specific song in Metal Gear Solid Three, and I can't remember what it's called, but it's like when you're in the sort of low alert state, and there's like this kind of nice like sort of guitar that happens. And I remember the moments and the emotions I felt during those times. I'm like, wow, that's not cool. And if I hear it out of context, it takes me back to like the feeling of sneaking around and hiding in this Russian jungle. So. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. I think it, it provides context, but I think it also sounds good on its own. And it, I, I, I mean, it depends on the game, but I feel mm-hmm. like a, a lot of the most memorable stuff is memorable for a reason and not even just for nostalgia. Yeah. Yeah. That would yeah. agree with yeah. that. And I, I'm thinking about like, cause I have a giant list or a giant like playlist of all of the songs that I've ever liked that are on Spotify. It's like, it's at 5,000 songs or something. No, it's probably higher than that at this point. It's a lot. <laughs> I just like play it when I just want to listen to random things. Mm-hmm. There are some songs on there that are from movies. And I remember uh, specifically the one movie I'm thinking of is If Bill Street Could Talk. Uh, I don't know if y'all have seen that movie. It's it's a good movie. Um, But like the soundtrack is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, And while I was watching the movie, I kept thinking to myself, man, this soundtrack is amazing. And I don't know. If it's, <laughs> and I don't know if it's because there wasn't something going on interesting enough in the movie for me to notice the soundtrack as much or what but um i've noticed that like i'll do that for movies and i'll do that for some games too um that like i'll just notice that the sound the music is good or the sounds are good or something um even if i don't necessarily even if in the moment i might not be feeling that game or movie or whatever at the time um Mm -hmm. so for movies i feel like it's usually one or two songs that really stick out to me because of the Mm -hmm. very specific moments like oh it's the main theme maybe something else is happening yeah. Um, even with Amelie, I can only think of like two songs. Um, mm-hmm. th- maybe a third one too. Uh, at least with games, I I feel like because there's a lot of variety in the worlds. Yeah. And, or I mean, depends on what kind of games you're playing. Uh, but I I feel like because there's a lot of different moments and there's a lot of different. If if it's less linear than like a hallway of a game, I feel like. Mm-hmm. I mean, like people think about Final Fantasy Seven. Uh, let's just take Seven because it's a beloved game and like. Yeah. There's certain things. There's like the main theme. There's the bombing mission. There's the fight music. There's the boss music. There's the there's like the final boss music and leading to the final boss. Like, these these are all m- themes that I can think of and recall very easily. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of moments in between because that came so long. So a lot of moments in between starting the game and and fighting Sephiroth and winning. And I can't remember all the music in that, but I remember a lot of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's yeah, there's something to it. I think it's part of it is a lot. I, I think a lot of it is that you hear it a lot in a game versus a movie. Ellen, you had a thought ready to go. Uh, I so Chell, where can people send their opinions uh, on what you said today to you on the internet? <laughs> um. So my website is chellwongaudio.com, um, and it has all of my links to like my Bandcamp, my my Spotify, which unfortunately I'm going to have two Spotify's because I'm going to have two names. Um, and uh, on there is a contact form where I can filter out the email. <laughs> I, I am, however, on Twitter and on Instagram, but mostly Twitter at Chalong Audio. Um, and if you want to send me your hot takes on <laughs> video game music, film music, Galaxy, Sunshine, or you think I have the best opinions, and you're like, wow, I totally agree with you. <laughs> and uh, I guess Twitter is the best way to find me, typically. But I'm pretty easily reachable everywhere. 
And you have been, I'm not sure how widely you want to advertise this, but you have been playing Mario 64 a 120 star run <laughs> every week on Twitch, right? Yeah. So um, I'm skipping this coming week because it's going to be Game Sound Con. Mm. Um, but essentially, Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern, I and, our, uh, and, a, and a friend named Tiffany Otto, um, I'm going through Super Mario 64. Uh, and I love that game. That game is, it's like my first or second favorite. The only other one being like Paper Mario 1000 Year Door that can really compete. Um, but despite Super Mario 64 being like my favorite game of all time, I've never gotten 120 stars. I'm stuck at 118 on my on my N64. So I've decided to go through and start from the beginning since there's like all everyone's talking about it again. I'm like, hey, why not? I might as well. So right now I'm at 65 stars as of the recording of this podcast. And I need to go to Dire Dire Docs next and then finish the basement out with Bowser. So that's where I'm at right now. And then afterwards, I'm going to play Sunshine. Hopefully Tiffany said that she might do Luigi's Mansion. So maybe we'll take turns. I don't know. Oh, cool. Uh, but yeah, that is. Oh, okay. This is annoying. My Twitch username is Penguin Buster, and it's P E N G W N B U S T E R. That is going to be that will change to Chelwong Audio eventually. But you can only change your username like once in thirty days, and I changed it from my old handle to my new handle, and then I started streaming. I'm like, oh, dog. Now it's impossible to find me. <laughs> and I don't. Also, I don't really care. Like, I'm I'm streaming mostly just for kicks. Um, so yeah, that's, that's like my, my other thing that I'm doing for kicks, but everywhere else it's, it's chelwongaudio.com or Twitter, chelwongaudio, Bandcamp is just chelwong.bandcamp.com. Um, and so, yeah. Yeah. Check her out in all of those places. That's our show. Check out our website, nicegames.club, for show notes and links to resources on today's topics, both controversial and not. If you liked this episode, give us a review on your favorite podcast app and tell your friends. Independent podcasts like ours rely on word of mouth to grow. We love hearing from our listeners. So for a quick way to give us feedback on the show, head over to nicegames.club slash feedback. You know it by now. And fill out a short little form. You can also get in touch with your nice hosts on Twitter at Nice Games Club, where Dale tweets about game dev resources and hashtag Environmentober. Or you can email us through contact at nicegames.club. Ask us questions, suggest topics, or just say hello. So until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. I thought for for as off the rails as we went, we stayed on topic, more or less. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.